Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash, and this is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception, but first, let's say a quick thank you to our sponsor. International Coffee Farms grows and sells specialty coffee from Boquete, Panama. Their specialty coffee sells for a premium to the commodity coffee at auction, and as a landowner, you would benefit from those high prices. The idea of a safe, diversified, cash-flowing offshore investment is intriguing to you. Check out International Coffee Farms at internationalcoffeefarms.com. That's internationalcoffeefarms.com. We are back here on the weekend edition. We interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. We've got a great guest today. He's an architect. He's a lead architect. Welcome to the show, Charlie Cicchetti. Victor, thanks for having me. I actually listen to your podcast every day since uh, I met you. So uh, really appreciate what you're doing and happy to be on today. Thanks so much. So Charlie, we got to know each other a little bit at the Podcast Movement Conference back in Philadelphia and uh, very intrigued by some of the work that you're doing. And of course, as a developer, uh, a lot of what you're doing is near and dear to my heart. So, you know, we've obviously continued the conversation. Maybe the place to start is give me your origin story. How did you get into this particular area specialty? Yeah, um, I'm based here in Atlanta, Georgia, but I grew up in the North Georgia mountains. So I grew up in a rural area, uh, even though my, my grandfather was an engineer on the Holland Tunnel in New York City. My dad later in life uh, was a journeyman carpenter. My mom has always been entrepreneurial. I went to Georgia Tech and actually got a business degree, but I've always been around construction. So I worked with a hard bid general contractor here in the Southeast. I learned commercial construction. Then I worked for a very large real estate company, Opus Corporation, and I really learned the real estate side. You know, being the owner, being the construction team, being the property manager all under one roof. Opus was an early adopter victor of lead. And so we were talking lead buildings in, you know, the early to mid 2000s. I mean, lead's only been around since about 2000. So um, I really cut my teeth on lead and green buildings um, at Opus. But, you know, I think it goes back to just my construction family experience and, and growing up in a rural area and appreciating uh, the outdoors. So for the listeners, to make sure no listeners left behind, why don't we define what LEED means for those who aren't familiar with it? Yeah, so, you know, LEED is a U.S. Green Building Council rating system. If you want to get your building stamped as a green building, you go through this rigorous process. LEED stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. And we've got about 18 years worth of LEED buildings, of green buildings. You can do LEED for new construction out of the ground or a major innovation. You can do LEED for existing buildings like, you know, I've talked. I spent a lot of time in New York City greening up existing skyscrapers with my consulting team. You could even do lead on just a tenant build out. So, you know, lead is the uh, most recognized green building rating system. Absolutely. Let's start with new buildings. Imagine you're putting together an office building where typically these are put together as triple net leases. You know, that means the tenant is going to pay for all of the operating expenses for the building, regardless what they are, taxes, insurance, heat, electricity, everything gets passed on directly to the tenant. And then the property owner charges a triple net lease, which is the basic rent. Right. And they get that regardless of what happens to the building expenses. What's the business case for designing an energy efficient building? Why would that be attractive for the building owner since they're not paying for it? No, you're right. Uh, only some markets have gross leases, kind of like we have in the Atlanta area. But if you're in a, a market where the tenant's going to pay the power bill, what, what should you do as that base building developer and landlord? So, um, you know, energy codes, thankfully, are in the United States are actually pretty stringent compared to even other parts of the world. 
So if you're in New York, if you're in California, sure, you might have some more advanced energy codes. But you know what's in it for the landlord is the base building system still need to be as energy efficient as possible. And you know one of the reasons you'd go through not just an energy efficient building process, but a lead process is to attract certain tenants, Fortune 500 companies especially, uh, just have it in their corporate sustainability mandates that they want to lease space in a lead building. So if you want to attract a certain type of tenant, you know, you really need to have a high performing and a green building and that, that precedence, it really is there. So when energy consumption counts for 20% of the cost of operating a building, uh, even if I cut the energy consumption in half, really only saving 10% of the overall cost of operating the building. That can amount to maybe a couple of dollars per square foot. Uh, is that enough to be compelling? Yeah, no, I think it can scale, right? I mean, if you have a very large building, um, you know, in New York City where you're paying $100,000 a month on your power bill alone, and then you've got your steam, and then you've got your gas, and maybe you have some fuel oil. Next thing you know, your energy costs for some of these buildings can be can be very large, but there's a lot of good incentives out there. I think, Victor, it's a good time to talk about the fact that most utility companies have some really good incentives, even on the new construction side, but especially on the retrofit side, because, you know, power companies don't want to build the next power plant. They want to make sure that the grid doesn't have brownouts and blackouts. So, you know, let's just make sure we're leaning into some of the rebates that are available for something as simple as some LED lighting retrofits. I think when it comes to base building developer, building a new office building, though, you have to these days, not just for energy code, but now there's ordinances where you're going to have to disclose how much energy your building uses. For example, in New York City, in the next two years, when you walk into a building, it's going to have a letter grade on how energy efficient this building is, ABCD, kind of like a health score when you go into a restaurant. So just the fact that now there's forced transparency in most major cities, energy codes have been updated. And of course, if you want to get that green building certification, you have to do even better than energy code. I think there's enough pressure there. It's like, look, even if it's only a certain amount of our operating expenses that's going to be saved, we have to do this for so many other reasons. I actually agree with you. And I'm asking the questions in a challenging way, in part to play a little bit of devil's advocate. But you know, even the buildings that we're designing, we're, we're designing in a lot of features that are really designed to save energy. For example, you, know, you mentioned LED lighting. You know, you replace the standard T40 four-foot fluorescent tube, which consumes 40 watts with the uh, LED equivalent that can consume 15 to 18 watts in its place. And you go from, you know, one-year operating life for, the, for that lamp to seven to eight-year operating life. And those, those savings are quite significant. No, you're absolutely right. And, and I think, you know, just, just some energy saving tips, because I'm glad we started there, Victor. It makes sense. You got to start with energy. Um, you know, you got to benchmark where are we at if it's an existing building. How do we compare against the other buildings we own? How do we compare against other buildings like us in the country? So you might want to do Energy Star Portfolio Manager and benchmark. How are we doing energy efficiency wise compared to other buildings like us? You got to know where you're at, set some goals. And then, you know, just some of the best practices on an existing building, of course. You nailed it. Lighting. In an office building, lighting is the biggest energy hog. Then we get into our heating, our ventilation, and our air conditioning. So lighting is typically the biggest energy hog in an existing office building. If you were to add up all of the homes and all the buildings in the entire United States, heating actually is the biggest energy hog. But office buildings alone, it's, it's lighting. So let's make sure we have the most energy efficient lights. Let's make sure they're off when they're not needed or they can be dimmed. So one of the ways to get a better energy star score is it's not just good lighting, but motion sensors, make sure we're doing some daylight harvesting, you know, put timers in our storage rooms, our mechanical rooms, good lights, make sure they're off and we don't need them. 
Just because a lease says Monday through Friday, eight to six and Saturday, half a day, if tenants aren't going to be there on a Saturday, you know, work out a relationship where they say, actually, I don't need it this Saturday. Turn your systems off. Just those kind of best practices are needed on our existing buildings. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk a little bit about design from a from a systems perspective. You know, one of the things that I often hear from tenants is they prefer to have more control. So that would take you in the direction of designing multi-zone systems, maybe multiple independent systems. I'm talking specifically now about air conditioning versus perhaps a more efficient chilled water system that's going to overall use less energy, but maybe gives the individual tenants less control. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, absolutely. So on the design side, you know, we have to hit a certain level of energy efficiency just for code minimum. ASHRAE 90.1 is current energy code in most parts of the United States. If you're in California, it's Title 24, even more stringent. But uh, you're right about control, but I, I think a lot of it's just more data, right? We've talked about the Internet of Things before, but if you have thermostats that a tenant control, we're usually putting a dead band in there where they can only control between two and four degrees swing. You want to make sure that it's more about temperature, humidity, even air quality, so that whoever is running the building really can make better decisions. Are there even people in this part of the building? Maybe it's lunchtime and a lot of people have gone home. So next thing you know, we can ramp down the outside air. And so I think, I think our systems are getting smarter. It's not just about, is this a more efficient air conditioning system? The the SEER ratings and the ER ratings. So we want to buy efficient equipment, but it's, it's of course, behavior and how we're going to run it. Are we using data or do we, do, it, do we just leave things on? You know, with control, you know, we've got tenants that put in Nest thermostats. That way, a building engineer or facility manager can actually monitor and get logs on what is the temperature, what are they even adjusting it to in their space. It really depends on your, your building and, and how large your systems are. Do we have these zoned out where we really can give more control to tenants? Or is it like New York City where you have an upper house and a lower house, you pretty much have two big air handlers and you've got to deliver that to several floors at a time. So it depends on the size and scope, but I agree, you've got to have tenants that are demanding more control and at the same time realize that can hurt your energy performance. Absolutely. And then of course, there's always the raging debate about opening windows versus non-opening windows. Tenants like the flexibility to open a window. It gives them the feeling of more control, but boy, can it ever mess up the air handling within a building. You create chimney effects. You create all kinds of different problems when you lose control over the airflow in a building because windows are open. Yeah. And, you know, and, and let's speak to that for a minute. You know, every summer, typically, you know, late July is the hottest part of the year in, in North America. And, uh, you know, actually August is, has been very hot, you know, you know, this year. But what happens is, you know, you have to really have that relationship with your utility company. Some In some markets, we have to do demand response. And so a lot of people that are running buildings will quickly go to shut off outside air to save energy during those hottest summer days. And that's bad because that can lead to sick building syndrome from the late 70s. The ASHRAE standards about ventilation came out in 1989. When a commercial building is occupied, we have to bring in a minimum outside fresh air, you know, oxygen to the building. So I think there's always that constant fight between more fresh air, more oxygen, happier, healthier people, and the energy to move that air and condition that air. So that's always going to be a struggle. But make sure you always have a minimum damper position when the building's occupied. 
And then, Victor, that's a good segue if you want to talk a little bit about the wellness real estate movement, because that is the next chapter here in the green building movement. Well, yeah. In fact, I'm very interested by that. I think that ties into is not just uh, air handling and things like that, but also choice of materials, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and while LEED does a pretty good job of letting us buy low VOC paint, low chemical materials, the new wellness movement really focuses on a lot more toxins and how materials even would interact with each other if we're building a new construction project. A and B is we're actually pushing more on our manufacturers, our building product manufacturers. What are they doing to green up the supply chain, not just less toxic materials, but what are they doing before those materials get to our project site? But the wellness real estate movement, there's really two programs, well and fit well. And it's building on what LEED has done. But now the lights, let's say in your office building, instead of just being energy efficient and less harmful to the environment because of how we produce power, that's a LEED project. LEED is all about let's be less of an impact to the environment. Well, and the well building standard is these lights are going to affect how we sleep tonight. Circadian rhythm. We really get into water quality, not just water efficiency, and it's so much more. But the wellness real estate movement, as I'm calling it, really is, is gaining traction. You know, when I walk onto a construction site just after we get the certificate of occupancy and the building always has that very distinctive fresh construction smell to it. In one sense, it's, it kind of smells good. But right. in reality, what we're really talking about is materials that potentially contain toxins coming out into the air. It's probably not a good thing. No, you're right. I, I lecture a lot. I teach a lot of classes and, uh, and I always joke. I say, you know, that new building smell, that new car smell, it's really bad for you, actually. So, you know, in a perfect world, when you walk into that next new construction project and you've done your punch list, there's really almost no smell. That means we use the low VOC products. Let's talk about the operation of buildings. Uh, you know, you mentioned a few moments ago about the internet of things. It's so easy today to have systems interconnected, have them uh, well monitored. What are some of the latest and greatest innovations in this space? Yeah, no, great question. And, and, and that's why I've had a fun career here in green buildings over the last 13 plus years is I get to work on both sides, the new buildings out of the ground and the existing buildings. And how do we operate green? How do we operate efficiently every day? And, and now, yes, this new wellness movement. You know, on the existing building side, some technology I'm really excited about has to do with continuous monitoring of air quality and really how many people are in a building. If you're a large 42-story office building in the middle of Manhattan, like I said earlier, we know when a lot of people have left a floor, maybe it's lunch, maybe it's they left early that day, that we can actually go ahead ahead of schedule and ramp down our outside air systems and turn off lights and really get ahead with our energy savings. So just the data that we have to act on, right? I mean, we hear that our buildings are giving us so much data and are we acting on it though? I think a lot of real estate owners, to be perfectly honest, are afraid that if they get all this data is their liability. And, you know, if I know that the air quality that one day wasn't as good as it was the last three weeks, am I liable? And I always try to coach my clients is, well, I think it's just the opposite. I think now you have a tracker that shows for those three weeks in a row, you were better than code you were better than the industry standards. You had a system in place that showed, hey, something happened. We jumped on it as a facility team and we got it back in spec. So we've got to fight that risk mentality and instead let's use the data to run better buildings. Um, but I'm really uh, excited about something 
a company that I, I work on, I uh, work with in New York City, and we're calling it a wellness thermostat. Um, so that's going to be coming out soon. You know, I think just in general, you know, the, the lighting control systems, the energy management systems, we can get text notifications to a building engineer, someone running a building, a piece of equipment is about to fail. So kind of that little bit of artificial intelligence almost, um, it's, it's pretty interesting to see not just preventative maintenance, but we're really catching some things before they become an issue. So some of that technology does get me excited on the existing building side. Absolutely. You know, I think back to when my mother was an architect in New York City uh, back in the 1950s. Uh, she was designing because, you know, the cost of energy at, at that time was pretty high even in New York even then. And the air conditioning systems were not nearly as efficient as they are today. So she was designing systems where they would literally manufacture ice at night and then they would run the heat exchanger over that melty ice during the day so that they were using the, the electricity during an off-peak period where it was more readily available and you were exchanging heat into the air when the air was actually at its coolest. Uh, so you're getting yeah. efficiency that way. And it's funny how we've gotten away from that, generally speaking, and now it's starting to resurface as this kind of new technology that's actually been around for quite a long time. No, I, I second that. Ice storage is amazing. It's simple especially in those markets on a commercial building where you're going to pay so much more for your power during the day than you'll pay at night. So, uh, and it's overall more, more efficient. So make that ice uh, in those large barrels if you have the room. And I think that's been the fear, right, Victor, is it's real estate. We need to maximize every square footage, every square foot of our building. And that's why there wasn't room in the past in the basement to have that ice storage. We need to have that for something else. But yeah, bringing back ice storage, Actually, one of the buildings I work on, 11 Madison, just put back in ice storage, and it's really helping that building. We just aren't lead existing buildings gold there, but they just retrofitted and added the ice storage back in to an existing very, very large building. So I, I think I want to build on that. It's the simple things, and, and let's look back on some technology or some means and methods from you know 30 to 50 years ago because it can help us save energy more than ever. So ice storage you know, make the room for it. One more that I'm excited about, we work on a building uh, right in Times Square. It's a large financial institution. It's their world headquarters. And they put in some really advanced air systems where they can actually purify the air and get that to a better quality than just bringing in the outside New York City air. And so they are allowed to recirculate a little more air than maybe you normally would do, say for code or for lead. And so just, you know, lean into it, make those deep retrofits, and you're going to really move the dial. Fascinating. So Charlie, if someone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do so? I like to connect on, on LinkedIn. Now you can find me, Charlie Cicchetti, like spaghetti, C-I-C-H-E-T-T-I. Or you can check out our online education company at gbes.com. You know, I actually have two businesses in this green building movement, Victor. On one side, we have our consulting firm and our engineering firm where we actually work on all the projects. That's SIG. And on the other side, we help educate what's the latest with this green building movement and how do I advance my career? And that's GBES. So we're having a blast. It's ever changing. And, uh, and I really appreciate you having me on. You've also got an up and coming podcast as well. Tell us a bit about that. <laughs> yeah, thanks. And of course, that's where we met is that podcast movement. It's a blast. It's called the Green Building Matters podcast. Uh, once a week, I interview a green building professional, maybe someone that's been doing this quite some time, or maybe someone that's newer into this industry. It's, it's really about encouragement, careers, mentors, best practices. And, you know, we learn a lot about some, some pretty interesting uh, green building projects. So it's called the Green Building Matters podcast.
Wonderful. Well, Charlie, great to reconnect. Uh, we're definitely going to be in touch over the next coming uh, weeks and months. And for the listeners at home, hope you learned something today. Definitely check out the Green Building Matters podcast and connect with Charlie Cicchetti on LinkedIn. That's C-I-C-H-E-T-T-I. And in the meantime, have a great rest of your weekend. Make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.